Hello and welcome to another episode of Who Knew in the Moment podcast. I'm your host, Phil Friedrich, and today I am honored to have Pierce Shaw with me. And Pierce has a heck of a story. Um, some of the things that he does, though, he's an ultra marathoner. You're going to hear about running a triple crown and what that means. And then in addition to that, um, you know, kind of the chief of Steve Weatherford's brands and business. And so he's doing amazing work. Uh, I think at this point, he's the youngest uh, guest we've had on the show but he's going to add some of the most value. I already know that. So Pierce, thanks so much for being on today. Man, I, I wanted to thank you for actually dedicating the time to uh, put this together, all the work that goes um, on behind the scenes, researching guests, getting amazing people to come on the show, um, and your just commitment to consistency with that. I forget the statistic on it. You probably know better than I do, um, but like 90 or or 95 podcasts or something don't make it over 10 episodes or something like that. And I I know you're, you're much further than 10. So um, yeah, man, thanks so much for having me on the show. And I I can't wait to dive in. My man. Well, I appreciate it. So to start your story um, growing up in Ohio, when you're a young guy, parents end up getting a divorce around like six or seven years old for you. So talk a little bit about that, you know, just, Maybe any any things that as you reflect on those years that you start seeing as formidable things or areas of your life mm-hmm. that you've you know had to dive into later on. Yeah, hundred percent. That's yeah. My parents' divorce was such a pivotal uh, time in my life, and and I love and honor my parents, and uh, they're amazing people. I'm really close with my mom. I'm actually at my dad's house right now in Ohio, um, getting to spend some time uh, with him. So. Uh, we're, we're close now, but yeah, there, there were some rough patches, you know, I mean, as a kid, when you're sticks, when you're growing up in your single digit years, your early teens, all of that, um, and your parents are divorced. It's like, for me, it was like, man, like all my friends, they have these, these families that are together. They have their mom and their dad and their brothers and their sisters all in one house. And I was like, man, like, why don't I have that? And mm. so I got very jealous. I got very um, just sad about it. And um, I, I always was like, I always longed for that. I always longed for the the desire to have like a, a quote unquote full family. And I say this quote unquote, because um, it, if, as you grow up, you realize every family has their flaws. Like I'm sure yeah. your family, Phil, has their flaws. Yep. My family obviously has their flaws. Uh, the listener, your your family probably has their flaws. But as a kid, you don't really realize that and you want what you don't have. And so, um, yeah, that, that was a rough, um, you know, part of, of my life, but now, you know, coming, I mean, now I'm, I'm 22. So, uh, 16 years after that, I mean, I, on my 16th birthday, I had a really powerful realization of man, like, oh my gosh, one of the worst things in my life at the time that happened to me has actually become one of the best things possible for my life. And there's this really powerful verse in the Bible that says in Romans 8, 28, it says, and we know that in all things, God works together for the good of those who love him and who've been called according to his purpose. And that's literally saying that if you love God and you've been called according to his purpose, uh, and God's going to literally use everything in your life for good. And so, um, yeah, I, I had a, uh, you know, hard time with my parents being divorced. And I'm sure we can dive into certain things that that's developed. But just in in quick summary, like, I mean, it developed an insane amount of 
personal responsibility. It, it, it created this, um, this skill that I have of being able to kind of like be self-sufficient, be able to, um, you know, in high school, something as simple as like, I would book my flights to go on different college visits and do these things kind of on my own, plan them on my own. Um, because I was more independent, whereas like, yeah. you know, friends would all, I'll be having their parents plan and orchestrate all that stuff. And, and that's a very small thing, but I think it's something that people can relate to because then it, it translates into much bigger things where now, like I'm planning different, um, you know, events and races and things like that, where I'm going to Utah and I'm going to be running for four days and I need a crew and a sprinter van and a hotel yeah. and food and fuel and these people to help me out and all these different components that if I didn't have that practice growing up, I probably wouldn't have been able to have that um, now. So yeah, that's, that's a little bit on like how my parents' divorce has impacted me. Yeah. Now, another thing that I, I've kind of heard you talk about is, you know, we all look in search for acceptance, right? And mm, we're yeah. going to look for that, you know, when you're young, within a family dynamic, friends, right? As you get older, it might be within your mm -hmm. career, a relationship. And, you know, talk a little bit about where that started for you. And then, you know, once again, talk about, you know, being a man of faith, where that comes from now. Not that we don't, every once in a while, all of us, we get caught up in earthly things, right? Uh, oh, that, yeah. No doubt about it. But hey, I'm wearing on that. I'm wearing this, this belt buckle that says Tahoe 200, for finishing <laughs> the, the Tahoe 200. And, and yeah, I, I wanted to run the race to impact people and all of that. But I wanted the belt buckle too. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's so cool. It's, it's an awesome lifelong accomplishment that I'll remember forever. So I'm with you on that. But um, yeah, so, so what I'm hearing you say is talking about um, sort of your search for acceptance. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, that's so, so powerful and, and something that every, every person goes through growing up. And, you know, as you're listening to this, you can probably reflect on how you've um, searched for acceptance in certain ways. Yeah. Like for me growing up, it was, um, you know, man, I, I think it, it kind of stemmed from, my parents divorce and things like that. And, uh, you know, my mom being working super hard as a nanny and my dad, um, doing what was, he was doing and, um, working and, and things like that. And so like, I, I was craving attention, craving to fit in. I mean, even if your parents are together, I'm, I, I'm almost positive, you know, lots of, lots of kids, lots of teens crave the desire to fit in. And so for me, you know, I, I went in and, and fit in by, you know, doing the traditional high school kind of thing, early college thing. I didn't make it the whole way, but, um, you know, go out to different parties and, and hang out with different people. I mean, talking about my faith now, it, it's crazy. And it, I reflect on it a lot while I'm home because uh, in high school, I didn't want to join any sort of faith-based groups or organizations or things like that because uh, to in me, to my, to my friends, those were the weirder kids. Like those were the kids that, that people didn't hang out with. And so um, I kind of stayed away from that. And I laugh at myself now because I just know how much God has changed my life. Mm -hmm. um, but I think for me, and and I think a lot of people get to this point where it's like, you, you've done, done something, you've done so many different things to 
trying to like fill the void, trying to fill the need to, to, to feel accepted and all of that, feel this craving, this yearning. And, um, and, and you realize it doesn't work. Mm. Like for instance, my friends and, and people I grew up with, they, you know, do the traditional thing, you know, go out on Friday nights, whose house is having a party or this yeah. parents are gone, whatever. And, uh, and you do that and you, you do that and you do that and you wake up on the, the next day feeling just like, man, that was stupid. Like, why did I do some of those things? Why did I eat like McDonald's? Like and just throw off my, my progress that I'm making physically and, and these different things. And so, um, yeah, I, I kind of got to a certain point with that. And then also, um, my, my grandpa passed away when I was in high school, um, who I had just gotten really close to. He was a man of faith. He went to, um, a Catholic church. And, uh, once he passed, I was like, I had a lot of questions. I don't, I don't know if I ever doubted God existed, but I hadn't, I definitely didn't have any personal relationship with him. Um, yeah. And so that really caused me to search. And, um, and, and I always tell people it's, it's always fun, like talking to people about their faith. And like, I, I was recently meeting with a, a friend of mine who recently just gave his life to Christ and uh is is shifting and changing a lot of the things he's doing just because god's growing him god's changing his mind and and uh and it's like you know you get to tell them man you can see now how god was pursuing you in all these different ways over the course of the last couple years you were just not you didn't have your eyes open to see it and in awareness or even sometimes you may not even want to admit that he's trying to pursue you and chase you down so um yeah it's 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 amazing and faith has played a, a huge role in my life and we can talk about that too yes so you brought up high school and in high school yeah. you were playing lacrosse and yeah one of the crazy things about lacrosse and your story is that you weren't ever like this cross-country runner you weren't ever this big trackster uh you're yeah. a lacrosse pr- player but one of the things your coach would have you do before practice was you'd go run a 5k and then you yeah. have to practice after that. So talk a little <laughs> bit about, you know, getting introduced to, you know, I would say maybe like hard work and work ethic and putting in yeah. you know, above and beyond what's required there. Yeah, hundred percent. So I think this is, uh, you know, this actually ties back to my parents' divorce too, because, um, you know, from a young age, I was grown and I think my environment created this desire in me to work very hard. And it was like, man, when I get older, I'm going to be, I'm going to provide for my family. I'm going to give, give my kids the life um, that I I wanted to have. And, and by the way, don't like, I, I'm me saying this, I had, I have amazing parents. I I grew up with a roof over my head, food always on the table. Like I'm super blessed. Um, But I just, I knew there was a next level and I I wanted to be the one to, to bring that. And so this created this desire in me, this hunger, this work ethic. I mean, I was working at my, uh, on my uncle's construction site at, uh, the, I think the summer going into my freshman year of, of high school, like 40, 50 hour weeks and the blazing heat and cleaning up trash and doing all this stuff. And, um, so it, essentially that's evidence to, to the work ethic I had. And, um, it's because of my, my parents' divorce. I don't know if without it, I would have had it, but yeah, so get to high school, get to lacrosse. I had grown up playing lacrosse. That's what everyone did in my area. And I, I loved the game. It was a lot of fun. And uh, before every tryout, 
practice. They had this week called hell week, which is like the first week of tryouts, like the worst thing ever. It's like two a days in football yeah. <laughs> if you, for the audience that plays football. Um, and so we start off with the 5k. They called it the big one. It's this big loop that's uh, 3.1 miles. And, uh, you know, as a, a freshman in, in high school, I don't know, probably 15, 14 yeah. years old. And you're like, you hear that you have to do that. And you're like, we have to do what before every lacrosse tryout practice. <laughs> and like, everyone's dreading it, you know, in the locker room, everyone's talking about how much it's going to suck and, and whatever. And so we go out to do this 5k. And um, I realized like throughout it, I'm like, I, I didn't finish first in that uh, freshman year. But I was like, man, I can actually run with a lot of the seniors. And whether that was because I was actually the best runner on the team or because I was just trying hard where <laughs> other people were dogging it, yeah. like it doesn't matter because what that ended up doing was I was like, man, I'm actually decent at this. And so by the time the junior senior year rolled around, I was the one finishing first every time because I was – I would literally sprint the whole 5k as hard as I could. And a lot of people would be like, Oh no, I want to hold back and, you know, um, save some for tryouts and things like that. But we had, if you finish fast enough, you had time to rest. And, uh, and also the coaches saw that. And so um, I quickly like used that as a momentum to carry over into the way I, uh, I lived in the way that I, I did things in lacrosse. And, and unfortunately this is, this is a piece too is, when you start living that kind of lifestyle, it's going to make some people feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And this is actually something I've never shared on a podcast. Um, I don't know. I haven't really talked about it much, but I started, you know, pushing myself super hard in, in these 5Ks and and going going first and doing my best and, and wanting to motivate and encourage other players to, to push hard too. Um, and to the point where other people who who didn't like this, who didn't, because maybe I was, you know, showing how, how much faster the team could have been going. Yeah. Um, so I had some friends like try and run in front of me and hold me back. They mm. were like kind of joking, but they're like just serious. And it was really annoying. And, and then too, like uh, before lacrosse practice um, on varsity, we had to run, I think it was four laps around the field. And a lot of times, I mean, there were times where, you know, I would want to just like run, jog them. The the lacrosse team would do them so slow because they just want to like real go really slow as a warm up. And I just like be, jo- I'd want to jog and just like, not like, I'm not like sprinting at all, but yeah, right. I want to like run it, get, get done with these four laps so we can practice. Yeah. And people would get really mad at me to the point where I, um, wasn't elected as captain um, my senior year because I think people I don't know it, it could have been me or, or or whatnot but I think people didn't want to be pushed like that yeah. and so um, that that's and I'm sure there are ways in which that I could have handled things better yep. but there are there is that fact of whenever you push yourself and you start operating at a different level they're going to people they're going to be people in your life that feel uncomfortable and that may be like, Oh, Whoa, Pierce, you need to slow down or, Oh, yeah. are you sure you can do this? Or, Oh, do this, do that. And, and um, it's really hard because sometimes these people can be the people that are closest to you. 
These are your friends, your family, your um, clo- your parents. Yeah. And uh, I think it's it's very important that you're very diligent on who you allow space in your mind to dictate the decisions that you make. Because if, if I lived the life that other people uh, would have wanted for me and thought that was the right life to live, I would have just graduated college at the University of Southern California. I wouldn't have run the Triple Crown at 200s. I wouldn't have done an Ultraman. I wouldn't be talking to brands and creating partnerships and working with Steve Weatherford and doing all these things. Um, and so, yeah, that's, uh, that gets me fired up. I, I'm surprised I've never shared that on a podcast, but that's such a good example of, you know, how, how that impacts people. Well, you're exactly right. And I think one of the important things to recognize is that anytime you want to push yourself and push yourself to maximize the potential that you think you have or that others can see in you. Um, it does take a level of uncomfortability to do that. It takes a level of un or abnormal behavior to do that. Right. Um, and so if you're surrounded by people that want you to be normal, right. With them and do just enough, right. Hey, don't, yeah. don't, don't do too much. You know, you'll make us look bad. Yeah. Just yeah. enough. You'll consistently be in a group of people that want to do just enough. That's not a bad thing. But if you have a desire for more, then you may have to create a little bit of distance from certain groups of people and look for that next group. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 100%. Everything changes when you get around that next group. Yeah. Because you're not you're, you're like the groups here and you're not trying to pull them up, but the groups here and they're pulling you up. Yep. And there's not to say you shouldn't just give up on people and not try and lift other people up. But I think you got to be in a healthy balance of being with people that are ahead of you, being with people that are around your same level, and then also bringing up the people that are trying to grow. I love it. I love it. So you just mentioned it. Uh, post high school, you end up heading out to USC. And uh, mm-hmm. there's kind of a series of things that happen. I don't know the exact time frame, so you can give us the rundown. But you're going out to yeah. USC. You read a David Goggins book. And uh, on, I think it's like finals week, uh, you decide you're going to take a lap around uh, every 15 minutes. So talk yeah. a little bit about this little uh, season that yeah. you're starting to get into and uh, how maybe running is becoming more prevalent in your uh, your life. Yeah, 100%. So I got... I got stuck on a tangent with my lacrosse team that I didn't say that um, when I was in high school, um, because of the confidence that running the five K's at a fast time gave me, I I was like, man, I, I'm kind of good at this running thing. And my mom has been running a marathon every year for 30 years. And she never told me to run. Uh, she never said you should run a marathon. But by the example that she said, and this is the power of setting a good example, mm-hmm. I was like, hey, she could do it. Maybe I could do it. And so I set, signed up for a half marathon. I do the half marathon. A couple months later, I do a marathon. And so I'm starting to like get in this groove of like, man, wow, if I you know, work towards something, if I set a goal and, and put the time and the effort and the energy into it, I can achieve it. And so by the time I, I'm going out to, to college at USC, the summer before I read this book called Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins, which is now probably sold millions of copies. <laughs> Everyone's read it. It's it's incredible how, how much that book has impacted people's lives. Yeah. But so I read it and I read about this guy 
who had been through all this stuff, had lost like something like a hundred pounds in 90 days and just radical transformation. And he, he had done these hundred mile races, 200 mile races. And I thought, I was like, man, dude, if this guy, sure, he was a Navy SEAL. Sure. He did all these like things. And, you know, I'm, I'm just some, some college guy, but if he can do this a hundred mile race without really training <laughs> running wise for it, yeah, I thought like, man, if, if he could do that, I could do it if I trained properly. And so um, that was kind of like a similar mindset that I had when I saw my mom doing the marathons. I was like, if she can do these, surely I can. Like, I, yeah. I don't, I don't know where that, that belief came from, but it was just like this thought process that I, I started to develop. And so I chart this 1.08 mile loop around the campus at USC and I have no clue what I'm doing. Absolutely no clue. Um, but I, I'd heard his, him do this, uh, do this challenge, run a hundred miles. And I was like, all right, well, if I give myself 15 minutes to run this loop, I'll each lap be able to sit down for a little bit, rest up and just go as long as I can for 12, 12 hours. And the, the also purpose too behind it was um, I wanted to do a fundraiser for mental health. And, yeah. um, you know, because I saw so many people in school just stress out so much on exams. And I was like, guys, like, yeah, work hard, do your best and all of that. But like, it's not worth like, you know, losing too much sleep over. Um, and so I did it during exam study days. And I run this, um, I run this uh, loop, uh, have some friends come out, have some people be like, well, you've, you've been running this all day. <laughs> I'd taken it back, uh, but raise, raise some money. It was a really powerful thing. And, and that was just another thing and this is what, and I'm sure you've seen this in your life, Phil, is like the more that you decide in your mind, hey, I'm here, I mm -hmm. want to accomplish this goal, yeah. and I'm going to put a tangible either training, learning program, or action step guide to help me accomplish that. The more you do that and accomplish and realize the goal, the better that you get at that process. Yeah. And so I had gotten the confidence from, okay, I set out to do a half marathon. I'm able to do it. I set out to do a marathon. I'm able to do it. I set out to do a half Ironman the summer before college. I'm able to do it. I set out to do this 52 miler. I'm able to do it. And so what that's doing for me, the more I, I set, set goals, keep the promises to myself, achieve those goals, train to get to those goals. I, um, I build this confidence inside of me. And yeah. so, whereas, you know, years prior when I hadn't even run a half marathon, I may not have even imagined doing an ultra marathon or a hundred mile race. By the time I had done this 52 mile race, I was like, oh my gosh, well, the next logical step is probably a hundred. So I, I should do a hundred. So I didn't get to that belief that I could do it overnight. It happened through a process but through the process of setting goal, achieving, setting goal, achieving, setting goal, achieving, it grew my confidence. And then um, that's what's allowed me to continue to do these things. Well, and one thing I want to highlight there that's super important is when you're breaking up a really big goal, you need to have those mile markers that are encouraging and progress oriented, right? Because yeah. someone listening right now says, 
man, I'm not trying to run a hundred miles. I'm trying to, yeah, lose the hundred pounds, but I've been doing it and I've only lost eight pounds. It's like, well, make, make the mark, the first one, 10 pounds, right? When you get to 10 pounds, do something to, you know, notice that and be confident and be excited about it. And that's going to propel you to get to the 20 pound mark. Right. And mm-hmm. so on and so forth, opposed to saying, well, gosh, I've only lost eight of the hundred pounds. Like, I still got 92 yeah. to go. That's a long yeah. way away. Yeah. Yeah. And that carries over. It's a process called segmentation. Yeah. It, it's taking a bigger goal and, and cutting it up into, into smaller segments. And that really um, is something that a tactic, a strategy that I really use in my ultra races. I didn't, didn't always know what it was called until I was talking to, um, one of my friends who's a, a former Navy SEAL, he, he was in the SEAL teams and they, they taught them this during training to be able to get from one end to the other. It's like, you have to, we have, you have to chunk it down. And so I've seen it work really well for me. I've seen when I haven't done it, it's almost cost me the race. And in specifically, you know, one thing that I, I like to share and, and talk about, not because I'm proud of it, but because like, I want people to, know that I'm not just some superhuman that everything I touch and every race I do, I effortlessly finish. Um, I set out to do the the first race of the triple crown, which was three, 200 mile races over the span of three months, yeah. uh, July, August, and then early in October. So start to finish was three months. Uh, the first race, my first 200 that I ever did, I went out to do the, uh, Tahoe 200 and around Lake Tahoe. And, um, you know, I, I had a crew, I had my, actually my all-star crew and my two cousins, my, uh, one of my friends and then one of my childhood friends I grew up with out there to, to support me. And, um, man, just through the couple span of events, like early on in the race, I forgot to put chafing lube on and I forgot to do a couple things, ran out of water once I found myself in a, in a down place mentally. Yeah. And there was this part, I wear this, uh, this watch during my, all my races. And this watch has a navigation feature and on the navigation feature, like this, this race is so out there. You got to have GPS navigation (laughs) Sure, You follow trails and stuff, but like there are certain parts where you could go one way. And, and so you got to look at your watch. And so like people get lost. It's, it's a crazy thing, but yeah. So, um, you know, I'm going about this race and, and one of the things on my watch, which I'm not used to ever seeing is, uh, it, it says like the race was two, supposed to be 206 miles. It would say you have 200 miles left and you have not 199, uh, you have 180. And I, and I always, I had had my watch on, but I never ha- had like a marker of had this many miles, um, left. And so I think what happened was I, I was looking down and I'd see that so many times and usually where I'm pretty good at being disciplined on like, Hey, like I need to make sure that I just focus on like this next stretch. Yeah. I wasn't doing that. I got mentally undisciplined in that race. Mm-hmm. And so sure, sure. Here I am, you know, 50 miles into this race. And I'm thinking, man, if I've got 150 miles left, how am I ever going to do this? Because I feel terrible. I was chafing. I was having GI issues. I was going through it mentally. I had to, I was running with an amazing group of people, but then I had to stop because I had to go to the bathroom and, you know, told them of course to keep going on, but that just had me mentally in the dumps. 
And that was because I had lost track of segmentation. Mm -hmm. I had lost track of this big goal, not focusing on the big goal, but focusing on the small segments. Yeah. And literally that almost costed me the whole triple crown of two hundreds is not following segmentation. Like the person who's got a hundred pounds, like quit. I almost quit at eight pounds or I guess proportionally, I I almost quit at 50 or uh, 25 pounds, um, a a quarter of the way there. And I can't imagine if I would have quit at 25 pounds because obviously standing on the other side, I know it was possible for me to finish it all. Yeah. And, uh, and we can go into it too, but like the one, the one thing that saved me from myself, a couple of things, but, um, was the, the thing that ultimately saved me was my crew. Yeah. And that's the power of having a crew, having those people around you to not just, um, not just say, Hey, we support you, whatever you want to do and, and whatnot. Um, and you need that sometimes, but like for me, when I'm doing a race, I need a crew that's just going to be like, hey, like you told us you wanted to do it. You signed up for this. Like we're not letting you quit. Like yeah. as long as as long as you can physically make it, like you wanted to do this, we're here for you. You told us to not let you quit. So we're not going to let you. And so I had a friend like that and uh, and he helped me problem solve and, and we got we got through it. But um yeah, if it weren't for my crew, I probably would have been would have been out of it. I love it. So one comment I'll make, and then I got I want to dive into something you said. And I just was talking to my team about this earlier today. And I go, there's a difference between a goal and a commitment. A lot of people mm. view a goal as something as, hey, pie in the sky. If we get there, great. But if we felt close, you know, I, I I'd be happy with that too. Then there's a commitment, right? That's saying, I'm going to do this. I'm going to figure it out. Like, it doesn't matter what it takes, right? I mean, within ethical reason, right? I'm going to figure out a way to get to that committed uh, opportunity. So I think yeah. that's really important to point out. Now- A hundred percent. And, and two, two that's, yeah. or I'll, I'll say too, this is, it, it's on the track of two, what I call a non-decision. A non-decision is something- Cause I, I always get this question. I always get this question of like, Oh, Pierce, you're, you're setting out to do an Ultraman. You want to, you know, swim 6.2 miles, bike 260 miles and run a double marathon over the course of a weekend. Like that sounds pretty insane, dude. I've never heard of anyone doing that. Like, let me ask you, what are the chances that you think you finish? Someone asked me that. And I was like, a hundred percent, not not because like I'm I'm just overly confident or, or whatever, but 100% because I've made up in my mind that this is not just like some pie in the sky goal. What you're saying, this is a commitment. This is a commitment that I'm making to myself. This is a commitment I'm making to my crew, to God, to, to all the people who have supported me that I am finishing. And, and, you know, if I'm going about it and like I get hit by a car or something, God forbid, like, I'm not going to be mad about it. Like, I'm going to be upset that I got hit by a car, obviously. But it's like, I'm not going to feel like I let myself down. um, Because I couldn't control that. But with a non decision, it's like doing everything in your power, after you've made a commitment to go after it. And, and that really helps because Whatever you want to do, whatever goals you have, chances are it's going to be hard. Yep. You know, running a marathon's hard. 
Doing an ultra marathon, that's hard. Doing 200 miles is surely hard. Losing 10 pounds, 20 pounds, 50 pounds is hard. Doing, getting your business to a certain level. Putting on events is hard. Getting people enrolled in your programs, events, and, and, and all that is hard. But the thing that happens when you make the non-decision, when you make it a commitment, is that when it gets hard, you're not negotiating, hey, should I keep doing this or should I change my goal and veer off the course? You're like, hey, I've already made this commitment. Yes. Now, how do we problem solve and how do we get it to the, the the goal, get it to the finish line? Because I think, too, so, so many people, it's like they're going after something, they face resistance, and they're like ready to just quit, turn around, flee the scene, and whatever. And that's because you haven't made it a literal commitment or a literal non-decision that there is no option, no way out, you're finishing. I love that. I love it. Now, one thing I'm curious about, uh, you know, in in an event like 100 miles, 200 miles, um, as I've heard, and you'll be able to tell me more, most people say, well, up until that point, I had never actually run 100 miles before. So I had to be able to do mental preparation because at mile 76, you just don't know how your body's going to react. And you need to be mentally super sharp because of everything you just said about of making it a non-decision. So what are some of the mental either exercises or things that you do either leading up to a race or during a race other than I know you said the segmenting, but, you know, whether it's affirmations or things to keep yourself busy, uh, you know, what are the things that you do mentally to be able to progress through any of the pain, tire and, uh, you know, negative thoughts that might come into the orbit? Yeah, hundred percent. So first thing, I mean, I always start try to go in with just a mindset of gratitude. Mm-hmm. And it's like when I'm out in Moab, Utah, I'm out in Moab, Utah, I'm out in the Red Frogs. Dude, yeah. I've got nine of some of my closest friends flying in to be with me, to help me out, to take me through this journey and yeah. support in any way I can. Like, man, like I I prayed for this. I dreamed of this years ago and and it's and it's happening and so that that's one thing but but two i mean like tactical practical i'm huge on the ice bath um i think that like an ice bath is great for recovery it's great for inflammation but even better than that it's great for taking authority over your flesh Mm, because you know this when your flesh tries to lead you when your flesh tries to take control of you and tell you what to do if you let it it'll lead you right off the cliff. Yep. Like if you just give into your flesh, especially people this holiday season, if you give into your flesh and your flesh wants to, you know, have this dessert or go to this place or drink this, drink that, do this, do that. Like that is not a good way to live. And um not saying you can't have a dessert, but you know what I mean? Just going yeah. overboard. Yep. And, uh, and so what the cold plunge does, because it's cold, it's uncomfortable, it's whatever, like you forcing yourself to do that difficult thing gives yourself the strength to say when that challenge, when that thing arises, hey, I I can choose to get through this because I have that strength. I've done it so many times in the cold plunge that, you know, when I'm running and I'm 80 miles in and my legs hurt, like they just, they just hurt. 
You know, it's it's yeah. not like something I'm going to throw a pity party about. It's not something that I'm going to say, oh, woe is me. It's like, they hurt. Like, yeah. you know, I just got to keep going. They yeah. hurt. It's yeah. like when you get into cold water, it's like, yeah, it's cold. You know, it's pretty uncomfortable. But th- that doesn't mean you get out. And yeah. so I think some of the mental preparation of of doing the cold plunges is big for me. I mean, it, you realize doing these things, and I've realized because I've had the privilege of doing uh, several of these races and comparing and, and reflecting on which ones were my best and which ones were my worst. Um, you know, a lot of times, of course, it goes back into training, but also I, I see like how – how focused, how disciplined and how on it was I in the process? Mm, like, yeah. was I actually hitting my runs and workouts like to a T or was I just lackadaisically like going through and, and getting 90% of them done or was yeah. I like po- pointed with it? Um, and that's, that's why I think, you know, excellence is so important and it matters. And that's not saying, you know, being per- a perfectionist or, um, or worrying about that. But like when you do things in excellence, I mean, everyone's heard the saying, you, how you do one thing is how you do everything. And, and you probably, everyone's probably heard it because it's true. Yeah. Like when you start operating at a high level in your fitness, that's going to carry over into your business. That's going to carry over into your relationships. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so I think I, I try and take this this whole encompassing approach and, and that like my my mindset like it's about everything yeah it's not just about like running or when i'm running it's like hey do i avoid difficult conversations or do i know i need to have it and do i have it just go right at it do i do i see see there's going to be pain on this side if i do this but i know i got to do it do i avoid that or do i just go towards it and the more of that kind of stuff you do the stronger you become and then the, the more capable you become of handling certain things. Yes. I love it. Here, I want to rewind that for the last, uh, you know, 45 seconds and listen to that on repeat. So Pierce, another uh, event in life happens and a friend of yours invites you out to a Ryan Stuman event. And he says, Hey, oh, yeah. I got a ticket for you. You got to get here. Uh, but you gotta come like, it's a must do. So yeah. talk a little bit about uh, one, you know, you talked about it earlier Hey, I just had to grow up. I had to, you know, make some of my own choices, be able to do that. Uh, but talk about that. And then the last speaker ends up being someone that uh, has become important to you. So talk a little bit about you yeah. know, what you learned in that uh, that exposure there. Yeah, hundred percent. I'll try and keep this condensed, but this is a really <laughs> powerful story, and I think it'll really impact people. Um, in that, I wasn't just invited by a friend uh, to the the event. I don't always tell the full story. Uh, because it it does require a little bit more time. But um, essentially how I actually got invited to that event was I was working uh, for a real estate education company out in Phoenix uh, after I had led left uh, left college, uh, USC. Um, and I was working for this company doing outbound sales, just really trying to work my way onto the team because I really admired the founders. And uh, I had no clue what I was doing. I was 19 years old. I was just trying to make something happen. (laughs) Um, And so what I did was um, I was posting in these Facebook groups and these communities and I would post and then get people to respond to the comments. And then I would message the people in the comments to see if I could help them and, and serve them with our product. 
and I was being well quick to the point wasn't uh wasn't building rapport or or doing things relationally and so um like you know are so important and uh someone screenshotted one of the messages that I had uh had sent them and uh and was like blasted me in front of this group of about a hundred thousand people and he's like hey you know who is this kid why is he just straight pitching people like someone he needs to learn that this isn't okay and all that and i'm like i saw that at the beginning of the day i'm like dude come on like i've i've just been trying i've been posting on my social media every day i've been just trying to trying to do something trying to put yeah. myself out there take uncomfortable action take imperfect action like i'm learning i'm supposed to do and here someone is you know just bashing me and so i go about the rest of my day do my calls do my whatever and uh i check the post at the end of the day and uh i check it and sure enough there's like 40 comments and all of them to some extent are like hey man you know maybe instead of criticizing him you should have taught him hey this looks actually like a guy who's just trying to make it work make things happen. Hey, did you check out his profile? He's posting a video every day. He's really putting in the work, um, all these different things. So the group rallied behind me and one guy says, Hey, are you free these days? DM me. And I DM him. I'm like, yo, not sure what you're talking about, but I'm not doing anything those dates. What's up? He's like, Hey, there's an event called million dollar mastermind by Ron Stuman. Um, you know, I got it sold out, but I got you a ticket. Would love you to come. And, and I was like, oh my gosh, like, like this has got to be some God's just hands on completely. Cause like it went from literally the best worst day to one of the best days. And so I go out, this guy gives me the ticket. I sleep on some guy's couch that's in the group that I don't even know. And, uh, great speakers, awesome opportunity. And then the last speaker was this guy, Steve Weatherford, who, um, I didn't know at the time, but it was this this larger than life guy, strong, fit, successful, won a Super Bowl, married, kids, successful in business, all these different things. And I was like, oh my gosh, who is this guy? And on top of that, he's taking his time in this business conversation to share his testimony of what God's done in his life and how he's completely transformed his life. And I was like, oh my gosh, I've never heard someone talk about their faith like this. And so um, that, that drew me into him, into knowing him and, and wanting to know him. And so by the end of the, the event, you know, I wrote down in my notes, I said, man, it would be amazing to be able to work for someone like this and learn from someone like this someday. And so sure enough, that was in May. Sure enough, in August, I think it was, I'm doing this event called 29029, where you hike up the this mountain, that's the vertical equivalence of summoning Mount Everest because you do it 13 times. Yeah. And of course, who do I see? Steve Weatherford. Yeah. Get this too. This event, 29029, I was supposed to go the year before, but it got canceled because of COVID and it got pushed back after I had heard Steve speak. So if I if I had gone in 2020, Steve, I wouldn't have known who Steve was. Yeah. But I had heard him speak in Dallas, and now we're out in Utah, and I, he, I see him. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's that guy. Yeah. And so I'm going up the mountain. I say, say what's up to him. I say, hey. I say, hey. Oh, my gosh, dude, you've impacted me so much. I, I'm so inspired by you. 
and uh, he was wearing cool sunglasses. So I was like, where do I, where can I get those sunglasses? He said, DM me. And I said, all right. So I DM'd him. Uh, he sent me the link and then, um, you know, we just continued a conversation there and, um, you know, just through that, that process of like getting to know Steve, it was just crazy how God worked throughout that all. And, uh, you know, I think going in the mind with the mindset of like, okay, how can I just be of value to this person really served me well, like offering to pick him up from the airport when he came in and visited in, in my town. Like, um, I'll just share that story real quick. Yeah. So he, he told me, he, he said, uh, Hey, I'm, I'm coming into Phoenix to, to speak at this event. And I was like, Hey, well, that's awesome, man. And I was like, all right, all right. How can I add value? How can I add value? How can I add value? And um, I'm like, okay, well, this guy likes hiking probably because we were at this hiking event. There's this great spot called Camelback Mountain right near my place. Yeah. And so I offered, I was like, hey, you know, there's this great hiking place. Would love to take you if you want. He's like, yeah, sure. And then we kind of just left it there. And then I was like, all right, well, I got my foot in the door now. How can I add even more value? And so I was like, um, hey, well, do you have a, a ride from the airport? <laughs> And uh, he's like, no, but we were going to Uber. But if you want, you can pick us up. And so I did. I, and before I did, I uh, I had this like 2010 Nissan Frontier. Uh, awesome, awesome truck that served me well. But it was this tight crew cab with a short bed truck. So not much space. And here I am picking up Steve with his two sons, his wife. And Steve's knees are going through the airbags, um, the, the, the whatever. Um, and, but one of the things that he noticed, which talking to him, I didn't know he noticed in the moment, but I took my car to the wash, got all cleaned up, put an air freshener in it and all that before I picked them up yeah. uh, because I, I had always been taught like, okay, like we want to have things in the best possible position or best like condition that we can. And, and also just like a stewardship taking care of your things well and so i did before i picked him up and he's like oh this guy's like you know details are important to him and things like that so that led to our our relationship growing and it's so much coming out of it but but one thing i just want to hop back on and, and share is like going back to the beginning of the story like literally one of the worst things like one of the worst days of work where this guy was blasting me in front of a hundred thousand uh, people online turned into being one of the best that's turned into an amazing relationship with Steve. I, you know, do a ton of things with him. He's been just such a blessing in my life. And it reminds me of this story um, in the Bible. And, and long story short, there's this guy named Joseph and Joseph has a dream. He has a dream that um, he's going to do amazing things and that like his brothers at some point are going to bow down to him. And, uh, and, and he has this dream. And so his brothers get um, a, a little, you know, upset about him and they just don't like him. He's his dad's favorite. And so they sell him into slavery. And so Joseph gets sold into slavery, um, goes from a good position to a terrible position. Then he's in this uh, working for this master and the master's wife tries to sleep with him, seduce him. But he says no but then the master's wife tells the master, hey, you know, he did this to me, send him to jail. And of course, the master listens to his wife. So he gets sent to the king's prison. Then he's in the king's prison. And in the king's prison, he interprets uh, the dreams of 
uh, of a couple guys and, and, and he tells them to remember them and, and tell them to, to Pharaoh. So when the dreams come true, that they would actually, they would get him out of prison. Um, but they forget about him. And then, you know, long, long time long, you know, he, he ends up finally in this position where um, he becomes second in command to the Pharaoh because he's able to interpret another dream and, and put in charge of, of all this uh, in Egypt. And, uh, and there's this famine uh, for a number of years. And so uh, everyone in, in the area is lo- running low on, I think it was grain. And so the brothers of Joseph come to Pharaoh to try and get grain from him. And they're really coming to Joseph because he's in charge, but the brothers don't know it. And he kind of hides himself for a little bit, but then he reveals himself to them. And they were so scared because they think he's going to kill them. He's going to take them as prisoners because of all that they did. I mean, these guys sent him into slavery for Pete's sake. And we're the reason behind, you know, 10 or no longer than that years, years, decades of, of hardship in his life. And, uh, and there's this very powerful thing that he says that I remember. And it's really uh, stuck with me because I feel like it really relates to the story of this guy blasting me on the internet was he said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to the accomplishment of many good things. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of like that other verse, Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God was going to work together for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. And like, having those things in my life have been such an anchor point for me because I think I I've now seen that God took this seemingly horrible time of this guy, just trying to throw shade on my name to this amazing relationship that has completely changed my life. Like that is, that has completely changed my perspective, changed my life. And so that, that could be for, for you listening is like, there may be something, an obstacle, a hardship, a tragedy that's in your way right now. Loved one may have died. Someone may have gotten hurt, injured, diagnosis, whatnot. Yeah. But it has the potential to be used for such a greater thing and greater purpose um, if you allow it and, and are open to it. That's spot on. I love it, brother. I love it. Now, with that, um, you know, thinking about just these different people have, you know, come into your orbit, you've gone into theirs, however you want to look at it. Uh, One of the things that I think you've done really well is you've coached yourself uh, to be willing to reach out to people that maybe have the knowledge and expertise um, that you're trying to attain. And so for you, uh, you hired a coach, uh, I think it was Mike, uh, you know, for running, you've got Steve that, you know, you're working alongside and, you know, obviously as a mentor. So talk about, you know, someone that's trying to navigate into new waters and being willing to humble yourself and say, hey, I'm open to learning from somebody that has, is either where I'm at, they're, you know, exuding confidence or characteristics that I want to embody. Yeah, hundred percent. I think um, that really is it's a, a great question and something that I've I, I was trying to figure that out too. Like when I left college, I'm like, man, I know I need to grow and I want to be around entrepreneurs. And I know the best way for me to learn is to be around them and just 
what are their habits? What are the things they do? How, how can I learn? How can I grow? And all of those things. And so um, I, I'm sure I probably read it in a book or listened to it in a podcast. Um, but one of the things is like, I've gotten really good at thinking through the lens of like, what's in it for them? Like, how can I add value to them? Yeah. And like a big part of my relationship with Steve was like, okay, I, when I, he first told me that he was coming to Phoenix, I thought, not what can I extract from the experience? How can I, you know, take advantage of it and, and use the time with Steve to talk to certain people or for certain gain in my own life? I thought, hey, instead of thinking about any of those things, how can I add value to him? How can I add value to what he's doing? And so I thought, man, he likes hiking, so I'll take him for a hike. Man, you know, I'm not sure if he has a ride from the airport. I'll take him from the airport just to serve him. And so, um, yeah, I think that's one of the biggest things is like, how can you serve? How can you um, be of value to to that person? Because I think that a lot of people are like, what can I get? Yeah. And, and very few people are like, what can I give? Mm. And so like if someone comes up to me and they're like, oh, dude, you know, I researched this about you and, and you're working on this, this and this. I have these certain contacts and, you know, someone who uh, has this company, this company, this company, you know, would you want me to connect you with them? I'll be like, oh, bro, like, how do you know I, I needed that? And yeah. and you already know them? Like, dude, thank you so much. Like, th- like I'm, and then I'm going to associate that, like those opportunities yeah. with you now because you were the connection point for that. So I think, yeah, I think yeah. I, I first identifying what you want, like identifying what you want, what you want to be like, who do you want to become finding those people that are, are already there. And then literally just being like, how can I serve them? How can yes. I get around them? And two, I mean, s- sometimes like doing crazy things. Like yeah. <laughs> for me, uh, one of my mentors out in, um, uh, Phoenix, Arizona, amazing guy. I learned so much from him. Uh, how I was able to start working for his company was he was filming a course and I stayed up all night uploading the course modules to the course and making sure it got live. like, I, I stayed wow. up all night just doing this for him. They went yep. home, they went home to sleep. I drove them home, dropped them off and, and I stayed up all night to do it. And then like another time I I've sent pizzas with pepperoni saying call me on the the pizzas and and writing my phone number on the box and like i i've done crazy things but um and i think you just got to be willing to to kind of do that stuff it's kind of a measure of how how bad do you want it i love it well pierce you and i could sit here and talk for the next nine hours i know you got things to get done but um you know i want to say congratulations to you on being as I understand the youngest triple crown runner or I'm the youngest guy. Youngest guy. Okay. Okay. I was, I was the youngest person for about 10 to 12 hours. And then (laughs) someone got me. Someone got uh, you. Well, still hold that and the youngest guy. uh, But no, I'm excited to continue to see what you do. And, uh, you know, we'll have to record this again in three years when who knows when you've probably done like three, 300 mile events in, in a three month time frame. Uh, but excited to just continue to watch your journey, all of the amazing things that you're doing, brother. Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much, Phil. And, and thanks for making this space for this conversation. 
Um, I think it's really cool because I do a lot of these podcasts or I'm starting to do a lot of them. And uh, man, just with the, the detail and the questions that you ask and like the research that you do, you can tell that you actually, you know, spend a lot of time and, and invest in this and, and making sure it's the most impactful and, uh, and powerful show. So wanted to say thank you because I, I really enjoyed talking with you and, and chatting with you on these things and, uh, and just the, the work that you're, you're putting into this because, um, you know, it definitely shows. Well, I appreciate it, my man. Excited to continue to watch your journey. Thanks, man.